What is the teaching of the resurrection? Well, we believe that when humans die, they are inert. They're, they're mortal, finite. And the only hope that any of us have of eternal life or immortality is to be raised back to life by the power of God, the power of his Holy Spirit. Second, we believe that this return to life happens when Jesus Christ returns to earth and not before. Those who are in Christ will be raised to eternal life at his return. And they will no longer be subject to death. Three, scripture indicates that Christ will begin his rule on earth with a designated period of 1,000 years. Point four, at the end of the thousand years, those who are not raised with Christ at his return will then be resurrected. So this story or the teaching of resurrections is, is more than just one. However, that resurrection will not be to eternal spirit-born life. Rather, it is a return to temporary physical life. Number five, they will live this resurrected physical life now having full knowledge of God and access to his Holy Spirit. During that time, they too will have the option to receive eternal spirit life. And you'll hear more about that at the Feast of Tabernacles that's coming up. I'm just going to briefly touch on it just to fill out the teaching on the resurrection. Uh, point number six, those who reject God's offer of eternal spiritual life, having full knowledge and full access to his spirit, will die a second death in the flesh, which is permanent and irrevocable. But God's message to you, God's message from Scripture, is that you can have hope. I don't know if it's showing up on your phone. No, I just... <laughs> you can have hope. So turn with me to Ephesians 4, verse 4, and... It says here, there is one body, there is one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father over all, who's over all, through all, and in all. So the reason I picked that scripture is because this is the only hope that there is for human beings. There is one hope. This is it. What I just spelled out for you, that is the hope. Go to Acts 24. This will be a, somewhat of a reasoning from Scripture type message, so I've got a lot more scriptural references than uh, usual. Acts 24, verse 15. Uh, Paul, speaking of himself and, and, and those who are with him, says, I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked, the just and the unjust. So Paul understood, and this kind of gets into some of the other points, uh, that there was more than one category of resurrection. 
and 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16 through 17, which I'll come to later, I'm not going to do it right now, says that only those, if you think about it, that verse says that only those who are in Christ at his return rise up. That's what 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17 say. That leaves a lot of people high and dry though, right? Right? So not everyone is resurrected at Christ's return. But let's stay focused on the events that are related to the Feast of Trumpets, which is the resurrection of the just, of the righteous, which is the first resurrection. Let's, we're going to focus on that. The hope that God offers is for eternal, permanent life. So when you die you don't carry on living somewhere else. Not in heaven, or in hell, or purgatory, or as a ghost, or a wandering spirit, or reincarnated as a cow. Those would all constitute some form of immortality, right? Although some of them are kind of unpleasant. But that's not the, the biblical truth. God's word indicates that eternal life is not something you currently have. You do not have it in you. You don't have it yet. But the good news is that eternal life is something that you can have. And God is willing and wants to give it to you under the terms of his covenant. Go to Romans 8, verse 23. Romans 8, verse 23. But we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So our hope, as the scriptures say, is for something that we, we don't have. We don't have eternal life built into us that you no know, one way or the other, good place, bad place, whatever, we're going to keep on living. No, that's not the way God made things. Uh, we're in Romans, go back to chapter 6, verse 23. It says, The wages of sin is death. Oh, that's the bad part. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's why I picked this little picture here of a happy little gift. It's a gift, right? You don't have the gift until the person gives it to you. You know, if I'm going to give my wife a, a diamond, you know, she doesn't have it until I give it to her. Keep waiting, honey. <laughs> All right. No, eternal life, this is the important thing, is that eternal life is a gift, and God wants to give it to you. Right? It's a gift. Go to Matthew 19. These aren't the only scriptures that say and prove these things, but they bring out different aspects of it. And in Hebrew, uh, sorry, Matthew 19, verse 16, um, Jesus 
meets this man along the road, and the man came up to Jesus, and he asked him, oh, teacher, a wise one, great guy, the teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? At least he knew he didn't have it. So what do I have to do to get eternal life? Well, why do you ask me about uh, what is good? Jesus replied, there's only one who is good. But if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. So it's, it's simple, right? Just keep the commandments. Do good. Be, be a righteous person, okay? Um, so before God grants you a gift, he wants to see how you behave, okay? He wants to see how you behave. Well, what would you do with eternal life if he were to give it to you? If I'm going to give my wife a, a diamond, you know, if she's just going to go out gardening and just going to lose it in the backyard, eh, I might think twice about it. God wants to see what you're going to do. What are you going to do with the, you know, eternal life? What kind of an eternal being would you be? Will you adapt and conform to the pattern of godly living that's put forth in the commandments? Will you or won't you? Are you in or out? Okay, with that said, now turn to Titus 3. Verses 4 through 7. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. And he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, which he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so then, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. So even though Jesus said, well, keep the commandments, guy, we also have to remember that we don't earn eternal life through perfect obedience. It is always a gift that God grants. Oh, yeah. Okay. So you do not possess life. You receive life from God. It's a gift. Uh, Genesis 3, verse 19. Getting into a little metaphysics here. Genesis 3, verse 19 says, By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food, you do your thing, you'll live your life on earth, right? Until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. From du for dust you are, and to dust you will return. So at the end of your physical life, you can expect your body to break down, dissolve back down into the material compounds from which it was made. But the spirit that's within you, and there's a spirit within you, returns to God who gave it. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7. Which says, well, let's actually back up. Verse 6 says, Remember him before the silver cord is severed, the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well. In other words, death. And the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. So your flesh and blood body is just going to break down, be composted, basically. 
The spirit returns to God. Now, go to 1 Corinthians 15. Verses 50 through 54. Paul writes, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So that dust doesn't inherit the kingdom of God. It's, it's got to kind of go its way. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I'm telling you a mystery, something you haven't heard before or haven't understood before. We will not all sleep but we will be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. The trumpet sounds, and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. And when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. So your natural state is mortal. And uh, you can be made immortal or eternal. There's also a spirit within you. And it's not the Holy Spirit we're talking about. It's a spirit, it's called the spirit of man, the spirit of humans. It's your own spirit. And God's given it to you. And that's what Ecclesiastes was saying, returns to God who gave it. You have a spirit. You have a spirit component within you. But when that spirit is combined with the Holy Spirit of God, then it can be reshaped, molded, trained. It becomes a new spiritual creation, which is ready for eternal life but does not have eternal life until God grants it. So you will receive a new body. You know, on all these points, I think I've given a complete message on all of them. But this is just an overview. So there's a lot more detail and depth to go into. You're gonna receive a new body. That spirit that is in you, that God gave you, will return to God when you die. And it doesn't possess life in and of itself. So what exactly is it? I don't know. It has no thoughts. It doesn't have its own consciousness. It doesn't know anything or have memories or dreams. It doesn't think thoughts. But it's still clearly you. So we've used various analogies in the past, and a popular one used to be, I think it was like a cassette tape. I mean, when was the last time you used a cassette tape? So I don't know what the analogy would be today. Um, I don't know, a, a software program? I don't know. It's an analogy though, but it is a record of you. It's, I think it's what's written in the Book of Life, but. Just think of it as a record of who and what you are. It's the essence of you. However, it must have a body to live. That is a biblical truth as well. 
So you're, you're currently a life, each and every one of us in this room. You're, you're a life. You're a living person, a whole, a whole thing, an integrated unit of body, mind, and spirit. Okay? You, can, you can't really separate them out from one another. You take the spirit away and you're no longer a human being. Take the body away and you're no longer a human being. And this is also the pattern for eternal existence. The complete package that you have right now is temporary. Okay? Spirit, body, so forth. But what God has in store for you is permanent and eternal. A new body. A new body no longer subject to decay or aging or deterioration and so forth. And the body that God gives you well, it's going to be different from your physical body. It has to be not, you know, in order for it to not decay. So we're in 1 Corinthians. Go to verse 35. Paul talks about this. He says, but some people will ask, well, how are the dead raised? Oh, come on now, Paul. How are the dead raised? With what kind of body would they have? I think he was asked questions like that, maybe even in that spirit. Okay, Paul. And he says, how foolish. What a silly question. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps one of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined. And to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People will have one kind of flesh, animals another, birds another, fish another. And there are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is of one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is of another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon has another, the stars another, and the stars differ from other stars in splendor. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. So he's saying, you're going to have a different body, different from the one you have right now, but it will be a body that he's getting at. The body that is sown imperishable, oh sorry, the body that is sown, body you have now, is perishable, and it it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Bodies are essential. You've you got to have a body to be, to be real, to be alive, to exist. That's the scriptural truth. And I say that because... There's this idea people have that, you know, well, you can exist just kind of as an intelligence floating around. No, that's, that's crazy. No body, no life. That's the Bible truth. But you'll, you have something to look forward to, a spirit body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a living, life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, and the second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so, she will, so we shall bear the image of the heavenly man. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, again, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. One more on this. One more on this, you've got to have a body point. 2 Corinthians 5. 
He gets into this with the Corinthians for some reason. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 5 says, Okay, for we all know that if this earthly tent, and by that, you know, he's saying temporary dwelling place. This, it's actually a, a tabernacle, okay, a place of dwelling. This earthly tent that we live in is destroyed. He's talking about the body. We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed in set, sorry, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. We don't want to be without a body. To be without a body is to be naked, as he's saying. We don't want that. No, no, no. For while we are in this tent, this body, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, to be without a body, just some you know, intelligence floating around in the universe. No, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, our spirit body. So the idea of living apart from having some sort of body is just not biblical. This return to life is accomplished by the power of God. Romans 8. Romans 8, verse 9. Says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. So something's happening with you that kind of goes beyond what, what, you know, what you are in the flesh. You are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. So you can have that power of life at work in you now. You can have that now. It's God's Holy Spirit. You can enter into the process of being recreated from within. When you commit yourself to the process of uh, you know, you, you commit yourself to the process through baptism and then you have hands laid upon you so that you can receive God's Holy Spirit, which is what you need to, for the hope to happen, for it all to start rolling forward. And His Spirit will work with your spirit. That's why, I, no, I didn't pick that picture there. No, His Spirit will work with your spirit and forming you into something new something different. Scripture says, His Spirit testifies with our spirit. They work together, witnessing to the truth. It transforms you. And that's the power of God at work in you. A power that's preparing you to be resurrected to a divine, eternal life as a child of God. And the Scriptures speak of Christ dwelling in you, the Spirit of God dwelling in you, we talk of the mind of Christ being in you. We talk of the inward person who is renewed every day. We talk about God's laws being written on your heart. 
And these are not referring to a series of separate processes. They're just different ways of saying the same thing. The same central truth. The work of this great power, which is the Holy Spirit, is happening now among those who are His. But its work isn't complete until the moment that you are raised up. And there's a day set aside for this. And it's that day that we are here to proclaim at the Feast of Trumpets. And the scripture says, okay, you priests, proclaim these days. And we proclaim it as a church. We proclaim it as individuals by being here and saying, yes, I'm part of this. I'm here. I'm at the Feast of Trumpets. This is, this is me. <laughs> Take me or leave me. This is what I'm about. So thank you for being here. Thank yourself. So the resurrection takes place at the return of Christ. Go back to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22. So let's read 22 and 23. It says, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Okay, great, we're talking about the resurrection, right? But each in turn... Each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come. <laughs> we'll get to that at the end. We'll get to the end of the end when he hands over the kingdom to God. So there's a progressive order to the raising of the dead. Christ's resurrection, which in the Holy Day scheme, we've already done. You know, we've already gathered together and we've already celebrated that. We've talked about it. We've taught it. We proclaimed it. Christ rose from the dead. That is the proof of your hope, the witness of, of, of what you hope for. It's a past event in human history as well. Two, though, after, you know, I said there's a progressive order, so the first is Christ's resurrection, and then two, the resurrection that you and I are looking forward to which is yet in the future. We're celebrating it today, but it's yet in the future. And until that day arrives, the spirit of the dead, well, they're not alive somewhere, you know, looking down from you. Well, don't worry, Grandma's, you know, out there looking down on you. No. Grandma sleeps until the day of her resurrection. Until the day arrives, the spirit of the dead are not alive somewhere. They're just, like I said, inert. Not thinking, not dreaming, not planning, not scheming, not observing you, nothing. No, no, no. The spirit that left us upon death is not alive and has no body. It's just kept by God. So let's go to 1 Thessalonians 4. I said I would get to this. This is it, folks, the scripture you've all been waiting for. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16 through 18. 
For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with a loud shout, and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That's what this day is all about. Christ's return. I mean, there's a lot happening, right? There's a lot happening when Christ returns. Dominoes start to fall every, you know, not just one train of dominoes, it's like one of those dominoes where they all start going off. Lots of stuff starts happening when Christ returns. But the one that should be, I hope is really super duper important to you, it is to me, is that that's the hope that I have of actually living and not dying. I mean, what do I really care about what happens in the future if I'm never gonna be alive? Maybe I'm just selfish. Maybe you care more than I do, but I, I get more out of it if I think I'm going to be there, I'm going to be alive, I'll see it, I'll be part of it, I'll have something to do. So for those who've already died, there's this resurrection. And we see that even then there's sort of a, there's sort of a sequence, right? Um, there's a special category. It says that those who are still alive in their physical bodies at Christ's return are dealt with a little differently, okay? So those who are already dead rise first, and then those who are alive when Christ returns afterwards. So God has this way of doing things in a very you know, orderly fashion. He has a certain plan he wants done. And it's important, you know, when, when looking at these verses, Christ doesn't swoop down to zip us off to heaven, scoop us up and, okay, you're done there, I'm going to take you off. No, we stay with him. We are with him. We remain with him where he is. And what is he doing? He's returning to earth. That's the other part of the trumpet's message, which I've talked about last year and the year before. But we will be with him. And this is how we can be with him, right? Even if, if we've already passed away, we can be with him. And what's he going to do? He's got some very important business to do, which is to reestablish, well, not, not to reestablish, but to establish the rule of God on earth, which is... is super important because it says, look, it can work. If you do it this way, it can work, folks. You'll be part of that. So let's stick with the resurrection, though. First John 3. You can get off talking about the, you know, glories of the millennial rule and all the stuff that Christ is going to do. And you'll hear more of that at the Feast of Tabernacles. I'll leave that to someone else to talk to you about. We'll stick more with this hope. This is the verse I thought of when I was listening to this, the uh, special music. Uh, they didn't actually quote this verse, but I think they were working with this verse. <clears throat> I think it was the line of the song was, um, we will see Jesus face to face. Was that it? Yeah. So we're reading here 1 John 3, verses 1 through 2. It says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. You are already children of God. You just haven't received your full inheritance yet. Okay, so that is what we are. The reason this world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. 
And if you've read through the uh, times when Jesus has appeared in his glorified state, oh, it's pretty awesome uh, in, that, you know, in that scary sort of way. But, you know, we will see him as he is. And, you know, the descriptions that we have of Christ glorified you know, say that he basically shines like the sun and there's all these analogies that are used to try and depict how he can, you know, have a, a, a real body but also shine like the sun and, you know, that's how you'll see him. Um, there's way more to the, the spirit body than that but uh, it's something to, to think about that when Christ appears we shall be like him and we shall see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. So the work of the Holy Spirit in those who are Christ's will be completed. There's something very special that will happen. We will come into the fullness of our inheritance. As the scripture says, you are already a child of God. You just haven't come into your full inheritance yet. The full inheritance includes eternal life. What more? We can talk about that at some other time. We will receive glorious new bodies, not flesh and blood, which is temporary, but bodies of glory, spiritual bodies, like he has. Go to Hebrews 11. Verse 35. Now here's an interesting verse. <clears throat> Anybody got the ESV? Anyone read an ESV? You'll hate the way they translate this. I hated it. They, they totally take it away from being part of the, being talking about the resurrection here. But uh, all the other translations get it this way. I'm reading from the NIV. It says in verse 35, women receive back the dead. Uh, this is the, um, uh, the faithful, the chapter of all the faithful people who've gone before. And it says, women receive back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released, so that they might gain an even better resurrection. So there's a better resurrection. You've been called to a better resurrection. There's more to resurrection as I hinted at in the beginning, and we'll talk a little bit about that in the conclusion, but you've been called to a better resurrection. This is the resurrection for those who are Christ at his return. Remember, the scriptures say all will be raised but then we just read in Thessalonians where it says the, only those who are in Christ will be raised, right? You're called to be part of that. It's the better resurrection, which implies that there's another resurrection to consider. And we're gathered here to celebrate and proclaim the first and better resurrection. So let's stick with that, talk a little bit about it. What, what, what does that involve? Well, Jesus Christ will rule on earth for 1,000 years. And I mentioned you'll hear more about that at the Feast of Tabernacles. You will. 
you better. If, if you don't, they're not doing their job. But this first and better resurrection is for those who in this present age, okay, opt in for the deal, right? That uh, new covenant deal that God is laying out now. You've opted in for that. If you haven't, talk to me about it. <laughs> You've opted in for that deal. Those who believe, those who repent, those who are baptized, who receive the Holy Spirit in them, who work together with that Spirit, who grow in grace and knowledge and the fullness of Christ, that's who the first and better re resurrection is for. So I noticed that I hadn't spent a lot of time in the Old Testament. So I found there's other scriptures. There's so many different ways to say all this stuff. But let's go to Daniel and take a look at Daniel 2. And uh, <clears throat> we went through these over the past year, looking at all the visions of Daniel. And this is, this is the, the tail end in verse, 20, verse 44 of the dream of the giant golden statue that represents all the nations as they go through time and stuff like that. And then at the end, it sums it all up, talking about Christ's return. That's the stone that hits it in the toes and knocks the whole thing down. So let's go to verse 44. It says, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to other people. And it will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. Again, that's the other part of the message of the Feast of Trumpets. And Christ comes to establish the rule of God on earth. And you see, you know, that statue's knocked over. Okay, the other vision of Daniel is in chapter 7. And that's the one with the, the crazy beasts, you know, the four that come out of the sea. And, and they are talking about the march of human kingdoms throughout history. And then at the end of it, it says something very very good. In verse 27, at the end of all that, if you've seen all these beasts and all the stuff they do, in verse 37, it says this. Um, oh, chapter 7. Twenty-seven, sorry, not thirty-seven. Verse twenty-seven, it says this. Then all the sovereignty and the power and the greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people. So when, when Christ's back and he's doing this stuff, the holy people will be with him. And he's got something for them to do. So all the greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. And his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will worship and obey him. Okay, back to the New Testament, Ephesians 2. I told you there were a lot of scriptures. Ephesians 2, verses 5 and 6. says, God has made us alive with Christ. And you can be counted among the, the living even now because you have God's Holy Spirit. 
He's made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions, and it is by grace that you have been saved. Gift of God, right? It's given to you by God. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So he's already got a, as he said, I'm going off to prepare a place for you, right? He's got places prepared. He says, you've already been seated in the heavenly realms. I mean, you can, you can opt out. God will let you opt out. But he's, he's got plans for you. It says, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So there's a lot of reasons. I mean, I ask, well, you might ask, well, why doesn't just Jesus do it all himself? You know? Great, he can do anything he wants. Why does he need us? Why does he want people, resurrected or not? Why would he want us to help? Why, why have anyone else involved? There's a lot of reasons. One of them, though, and this is only one. I don't even know if it's the major one, but it's one that I've got today. Is God is going to use you to make a point. As it says, he's going to, through you, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. What point could he possibly make through you by giving you a part to play in all this? Anything's possible. <laughs> Am I right? Anything's possible. You know, if, if, if this guy or this woman or that person, if they can do it, you can do it. And it show, there's a lot more ways I could spin that, reasons why God wants people to be involved. But that's one of them, and it says, I think, kind of that there. God's going to give you these roles, and it's going to show something to people. Look, this is how God works. They'll need a lot of instruction, and they're going to need examples. Okay, so moving right along. Oh, no, sorry. Not ready for that slide yet. So after the first thousand years, oh, we missed something here. Go to, back to Revelation, Revelation 20. Should have read this one first. Because some folks might say, well, you know, he seats us in these heavenly places. And that happens now. No, it doesn't. It happens after his return. Revelation 20, verses 4 through 6. Tell us, I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. And they had not worshipped the beast or its image or received its mark on their foreheads or hands. And they came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. And then you might see parentheses added in your, in your Bible here. Of course, you know, the original text doesn't have any kind of punctuation or anything, but in parentheses it says, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. But this is the first resurrection. Those who are raised and given a place to sit with Christ to assist him and help him and show the riches of his mercy and compassion and blessing. Now, 
it says they, that they came to life and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were ended, right? So that's where we get the most explicit, but not the only reference to this other aspect of resurrection. Not really part of the message of trumpets, but I'm going to throw it in here because we're talking about resurrection, okay? The second resurrection, this is the second resurrection. Obviously, if the first is the first, the second is the second, right? It doesn't say second resurrection, it's just kind of a logical inference. The second resurrection is different from the first one that we spent so much of our time discussing. Like the previous uh, resurrection, this, you know, um, the spirits are given a body again, but this time it's only a physical body, like the one they had before. It's not a resurrection to eternal life. It's not what the second resurrection is all about. This is a resurrection in the flesh. And as such, it's still a form of life that's temporary. So go to Ezekiel 37. Uh, now, Ezekiel 37 is talking about Israel, physical, you know, the people who lived and died as Israelites and never really got with the program, never had God's spirit. And they're going to be raised up. How? I mean, Jesus talks about these people, you know, he says, woe to you in Chorazin, you know, when the day of, you know, when you're raised up, all those people will be raised up. What kind of raising is it? Well, it's different. If we take a look, and I'm not going to read, I could read the whole chapter, and you, you know, you might want to read it through. You're probably going to hear it on the last great day, so you might want to prep yourself. But the point that I want to draw out from this is this is talking about the nature of that resurrection, that it's to the flesh. So just take a look at verses 7 through 9. Ezekiel's been presented with his vision, if you will, of all these dead bodies, you know, bones, in this valley. And he says, do you think I can make these? God says to him, do you think I can make these alive again? And he says, well, you're God, you know. And he says, all right, watch. That's what he does. And he's telling him, this is what I'm going to do for Israel. And it says in verse 7 uh, through 9, it says, so I prophesied, this is Ezekiel, and I, as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. And then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come, breathe from the four winds, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied and they commanded me and the breath entered them and they came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army of people. So this is telling us that these people who lived and died, they're not resurrected when Christ returns. They will be raised up again, but to a physical life. So what is the point? Why restore people to physical life only? Why? Been there, done that, right? Why restore people to physical life only? The vast majority of people, any thinking person has to agree with this, the vast majority of humanity who have ever lived have never had proper access to God. They have not had access to the Word of God. They have not had access to the truth. They've not had access to the Holy Spirit. Now, they will have both. 
Now they will have both, and they too can enter into the process of spiritual creation as well. We're in Revelation. Let's, oh, let's go to Revelation 20. Revelation 20 again. And verse 12. It says, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. So this has happened, you know, this is the first resurrection is done. Now we're talking about something that comes later. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they did by the words written in the books. So with God's truth and access to his Holy Spirit, they are now prepared to enter into a period of judgment and assessment with God just as you have entered into a period of judgment and assessment with God. You've entered into that covenant. If you haven't, come see me about it. But now these people will be equipped to make an informed decision. Decisions about their eternal future. And they now have the option to be written into the book of life. Okay, next question. So why didn't God just make it all available to everybody in the first place? You know? Well, the answer is, uh, it's a big answer. I'm going to try and zoom, narrow it down a little bit. Humanity had it all at one point. We had it all. We had access, total access to God. We could have his Holy Spirit if we wanted it. But humanity chose to go our own way instead. That's the story of the first humans. That's what Genesis is telling you. The story of Adam and Eve. God always allows humanity the freedom to choose. That's what God's all about. All about freedom. He's also all about consequences, but he's all about freedom. Sadly, from the time the very first people who ever lived, humanity has chosen to live their lives, to build their societies, to raise their children, apart from and cut off from God. And that's the story of Adam and Eve. And he said, okay, they got to get out of here. They can't, I can't let them have my Holy Spirit. You know, they can't eat from the tree of life. They got to be gone. And so they're cut off from God, humanity's free will choice. God's all about freedom. He's all about freedom, but he's also all about consequences. Now, God's not going to let this go on forever. Only long enough to prove a point. God's also into proving points. That's part of, you know, you have to allow freedom in order to prove points, right? But for now, a tiny portion of humanity are called out of that confusion and separation to be a part of the first wave, if you will, of spiritual creation. And that's how God works. He's, he says that's how he works. He likes to start small and watch things grow. He's like a gardener. Any gardeners here? Yeah, a few. Yeah, it's fun to plant a seed in the ground and you watch it grow, you know? It's fun. God likes to watch things grow. 
I also think he likes to maximize participation, but there's a lot of different ways you could spin that as well. However, at the right time, God will raise all people to life. And they'll see the earth after a thousand years of godly rule, and they'll live in a society that's built and governed by Christ. They'll have total access to his truth and unimpeded access to his spirit. Wow. And they'll be able to compare and contrast what they knew before with what they see before them. And there'll be time to make a choice. And if they choose life and become converted, then, you know, they too will, I assume, receive eternal life. I expect that they'll be changed and they'll receive new spirit bodies and all that kind of stuff. And it seems logical, all right? It, it seems logical to me. Scriptures do not say that, though. But it seems logical to me. So just so you know, that's just the way I spin it. The primary focus of Scripture is not on, on that, though. The primary focus of Scripture is to persuade people like you and you and me to opt in for the better resurrection. The Scripture's purpose is not to say, well, don't worry, you can be part of the lesser resurrection. No, the Scriptures want you to be part of the better resurrection. That's what God wants for you. That's what the Scriptures are about. So those who reject God's offer of salvation will reap eternal death. All right, a little bit of housekeeping here. Uh, Revelation, we're in Revelation 20, uh, verse 14 and 15 say this. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, and the lake of fire is the second death. So, you know, as it said, the people who are part of the first resurrection are not subject to the second death, right? And these people are. They're only flesh anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Okay, so the second death is for those who reject God's offer of salvation. Revelation 21, verse 8. Here's some examples of folks who mm, are going to miss out. It says, the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, idolaters, liars, these will be consigned to a fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. I think, well, that's kind of grim. Oh, well, let's, let's, let's have our last scripture. We're going to go to Matthew 10. Matthew 10, verse 28. So you got a, if you have a red letter Bible, you'll find these are red letters here. It says, Jesus speaking says, okay, so don't be afraid of those people, oh no, 28, sorry, it says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. By that he means Gehenna. Look it up, that's what it says. Fire, a big giant fire. Be afraid of him who can destroy both soul and body in Gehenna. So why did I throw that scripture in there? Revelation kind of nailed it, right? I threw it in there because Jesus taught the same thing. The possibility of permanent annihilation is a teaching of Jesus himself. Summary. Resurrection from the dead and the gift of eternal life is the hope of all mankind. 
to no longer fear or anticipate death. Wow. I'm looking forward to that. The scriptures teach that all will be raised. We've gone through a little bit of that. But in an order, right? There's an order to which the dead will be resurrected. But the Feast of Trumpets celebrates and proclaims the resurrection of those who are in Christ at his return. The resurrection of the just. The resurrection of the righteous. The better resurrection. Resurrection of the firstborn. And God has the power to give you this life at that time. And he wants to give it to you at that time and in this way. He wants you to be part of the better resurrection. That's the focus of scripture. So choose life and stay on the path. If you're on the path, stay on the path, okay? Stay on the path that leads to eternal existence.